Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 146. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can, at Brian McClanahan. You can like me on Facebook, at Brian McClanahan, and you can go to my YouTube page, subscribe there, at Brian McClanahan. You can also watch this podcast there, so go on out to YouTube and do that. Also, you can go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com, give me, give me an email address, and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can also find all my social media buttons at the top of the page, and you can help support The Brian McClanahan Show. Just go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. Pick up one of my classes there. More material is always forthcoming, and it's always free to join. You can also support me by going to learntruehistory.com and subscribe there to that particular website and get more classes by me along with Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, and others. And you can always buy Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. Just go on to redbubble.com and look for Brian McClanahan, and you can buy some Brian McClanahan logo apparel or other items like uh, skins for your iPhone or iPad, coffee cups, and all kinds of things. So you can get the Brian McClanahan Show logo, which is really cool. It's updated, um, and I'm really proud of it. So go on out to redbubble.com and get that material. Okay. So let's talk about um, the topic of the day, which is something that was came to my attention a while back. Um, and it was somebody that said, look, um, you can't, what is a confederate? In other words, uh, so you look at this issue of the war and how do you measure support? And this is something that, uh, you know, historians wrestle with all the time. So how do you measure when somebody supports the war or the war effort, how do you do that? How do you measure support? Where where does that come from? And so that gets into the idea of black confederates. And how do you measure black confederates? And so this particular person said, well, look, there are no black confederates until 1865, because it was, it was only then that you had black soldiers actually taking up arms for the South. Now, we know this simply is not true. Um, there were no regiments of black soldiers raised until the end of the war. But we do know through plenty of historical evidence that black Southerners did support the cause or at least participated in supporting the Confederate war effort from the home front in a variety of different ways. So this gets into the idea of what is a, what is a Confederate, what is a supporter of the war, how do you measure that, how do you measure support for war in the North? I mean, if... If all, all we're saying is that you only supported the Union War if you actually joined the army, well, that's simply not true. It takes a lot of people to support a war and a lot of people on the home front to support a war. And people that are employed by the Union government or by the Confederate government are just as much Confederates or Union sympathizers, Confederate or Union sympathizers, as anyone else. So... How do we measure support? And when you have people supporting an effort who may not be in the military, yet they support it, they still are considered to be Confederates. And, of course, this is a pretty important issue now that we're talking about statues and other things, memorials. And 
Uh, you know, you get the impression if you look at the modern mainstream historical narrative that is simply just the white South is being represented here. That's it. There's nobody else represented by these memorials or monuments. The Confederacy was just white people. Forget that most black Americans lived in the South at that time. Uh, and certainly there were black Americans in the South who didn't support the South, who joyfully took the opportunity to flee the South when the Union Army came through or join up with the Union Army when they could. There's no doubt about that. Uh, no, one would, no one would claim otherwise. Uh, there was a little book I was reading about Southern refugees. It's, a, it's an interesting topic. You know, and it's um, one of these topics that uh, doesn't get a whole lot of, of uh, uh, literature written about it. But what was happening to people as they were displaced by the war? And they, he, the author gets into uh, black Southerners who were displaced. In some cases, they were interested in property destruction or leaving the farm and other things just as much as the Union Army. Uh, but a lot of times they were displaced too. And so it's interesting how that particular prospect worked when the Union Army came through, and there's plenty of evidence that the treatment of black Southerners in Union Army camps was not very good, and that they were subjected to disease and starvation and other things that were just like Confederate soldiers who were in camps were subjected to, and that they were forced to work for the Union against their will at times. Well, we have a term for that. It begins with the S. And so uh, this, is, this was going on throughout the war. They received little pay or, you know, whatever the case may be, that they were not well treated. But the fact is you had a number, particularly of uh, what uh, one book I'm going to talk about terms free people of color who supported the Union, I'm sorry, the Confederate war effort in one way or another. Now, again, you don't have many documented cases of, quote-unquote, Confederate soldiers Confederate, uh, there were black Confederates who were support, uh, though. So is a cook still a soldier? That's a question that you have to ask yourself. Is a cook a soldier? Would you call a cook in the modern United States military a soldier if they're just cooking? Or someone who drives a truck, a supply truck, are they still a soldier? That's a teamster. That's what we would call that person. Is that person still a soldier? Even if they're in a non-combat role and they're not on the front line, are they still a soldier? Does the, Union, does the United States Army still view them that way? If they're not a combat troop, are they still a soldier? Well, absolutely, they would say, yes. If you're a mechanic for the Air Force, which used to be the U.S. Army Air Force, but now it's a separate. But if you're a mechanic, are you still a soldier? If you are on a naval vessel and you are not engaged in firing the cannon, or whatever, nowadays it's the missiles or, you know, get involved in aircraft and other things. If you're not engaged in that, but are you still a sailor on a naval warship and you still are a part of that ship? Of course. So this is, this is splitting hairs. This is people trying to say, uh, well, they're not really soldiers because they didn't have a weapon. In some cases, they did have weapons. <laughs> and you can find all kinds of documented evidence of this. They did have weapons. Uh, in fact, um, you know, there, there was an unwritten rule in northern prisoner of war camps that if a, conf a black Confederate showed up wearing the Confederate uniform, they were going to be killed. And there are instances of this at Camp Douglas, for example, documented instances at Camp Douglas in Illinois where black Confederates showed up and were shot dead on sight. Now, that would be 
a soldier. They're captured, right? Uh, there are uh, instances where black Southerners were pilots on ships that had to navigate rivers. Uh, there was an actually a um, the uh, U, the CSS uh, Water Witch, which was captured by the uh, by the Confederacy. It was a Union vessel captured by the Confederacy. The first man killed in in, in, in uh, you know boarding the Water Witch as the Confederacy was trying to take it was a black pilot. He was the first guy on, and he was shot dead. Obviously, he was a black Confederate. So this is interesting when you hear people say, "Well, there were no black Confederates because uh, they were just." Uh, Cooks, they were just body servants, teamsters. That's not a black Confederate. But what about all the people that, uh, all the quote-unquote free people of color that did support the war in one way or another? Now, certainly there was a policy of they could not join the military if they couldn't pass for white. They couldn't join the military. But I'll talk about that in a minute because we do have some evidence that some, uh, <laughs> some, uh, Black Confederates did join because they uh, didn't necessarily look black. Now, first and foremost, I want to talk about a guy named Horace King. Now, Horace King was a bridge builder, in fact, an engineer, one of the best engineers in the entire South. Now, he was a slave at one point. Um, He was owned by a man named uh, Godwin, who gave him his freedom, but he lived in Alabama, in fact, in in Phoenix City, Alabama, at that time what was called Girard. And he worked in Columbus, Georgia, but he also built Horace King's engineering and bridge building skills and carpentry skills were known all over the state of Georgia and Alabama. In fact, if you go to the state capitol today, Horace King helped build the stairway in the state capitol. That was his his design. Here's a guy. He's a free man of color. He was also very wealthy, and he was made very wealthy by the war. Now, he did not support the Confederacy at least he said so in the 1870s. I never supported the Confederacy. I was always for the Union. But he did make a lot of money on the Confederacy. They paid him handsomely to build bridges, to help build fortifications, to help work with the Columbus Ironworks. He made a lot of money. In fact, he sued the state of Alabama after the war was over for back money, and he got it. So is he a black Confederate? Now, this book, there's actually a book written about him titled Bridging Deep South Rivers. The Life and Legend of Horace King. It was written by a man who used to teach at Columbus State University, John Leupold. Uh, But he says at the beginning, uh, that, let me find the, uh, let me find the quote here. Uh, that some would say uh, there there was a there was a statement that King somehow supported the Confederacy and they used the pejorative neo Confederates. Okay, here it is. A recent addendum to the Horace King legend by neo Confederates portray him as a black Confederate, implying he supported the Southern cause. That's not what that's implying at all. He was a black Confederate. He may not have supported it, but he made money on it, and he was part. He was a black Confederate. He was supporting the Confederacy through his actions, through building things, through building. Fortifications, working at the Columbus Ironworks. He may not have said, look, I support the Confederacy 100%. But if you looked at uh, the ironclad test oath that uh, the Republicans wanted to pursue for the South in order to get 
in the Wade Davis bill, in order to be considered to have a state government again, Horace King would have been considered a Confederate because you would have had to swear that you never supported the Confederacy. Could Horace King say you never supported the Confederacy? Absolutely not, because he's getting paid by the Confederate government to do things. He was in high demand. The governor of, of Alabama wanted him shorter. Uh, the mayor of Columbus wanted him. So King was in very high demand during the war. And yet, the pejorative, well, the neo-Confederates say he's a Confederate. He really wasn't, because he didn't support the war. He didn't support the, he didn't support the South. He supported the Union. Really? Well, okay, he might have said that in the, in the 1870s, but his actions in the 1860s showed that hmm, uh, he's going to make a lot of money on the Confederacy. In fact, thousands and thousands of dollars. They were paying him. So here's a Confederate government, a state government, paying a free, quote-unquote, free person of color to be a good Confederate and do stuff for the war effort. And he did. And he supplied labor. That's the other part of this that I think is interesting. And um, this particular book, written by Lauren Schweiniger, Black Property Owners in the South, 1790-1915. There is a really interesting part of this particular book where Schweiniger gets into the Confederacy. Now, and also into slavery and other things, but uh, let's see. Let's go to 187, 188 in this particular book. Pardon me, I didn't have it marked off. But this is a sub, uh, in a chapter entitled um, Prosperous Blacks in the South, 1862 to 1915, and this is a subchapter, Free Persons of Color and the Confederate Cause. This particular section gets into all of the, quote, free people of color that supported the Confederacy. For example, there were large numbers of them in the Louisiana area. He begins the chapter thus. The morning of April 24, 1862 began much the same as those preceding it on St. Rosalie Plantation. Following Andrew Dunford's death in 1859, the management of the 2,000-acre estate had become the responsibility of his older half-brother Joseph, his 36-year-old son Thomas, and his widow, Marie Charlotte Remy Dunford. Early that morning, the, the field hands, with hoeing rakes over their shoulders, moved slowly from the quarters of the cane fields. The river, stretching nearly a mile to the distant shore, moved placidly toward the gulf. The bright green cane stalks, not yet waist-high, Drooped slightly in the still morning air. Even the dark fringe of the distant forest seemed pleasant and unforeboding. Late that afternoon, however, the quietude was shattered by the throbbing pistons of Admiral David Farragut's Union Navy steamships as they moved relentlessly against the current towards New Orleans. The entire slave community, 77 men, women, and children, as well as the Dunford family, lined the riverbank to watch the spectacle. Neither the slaves nor the Dunfords, nor perhaps even Farragut himself, were ever realized the profound changes this intrusion of Union gunboats would bring to the Deep South. The unique and privileged position of affluent free persons of color would be lost forever. Think about that last statement. The unique and privileged position of affluent free persons of color would be lost forever. Now, the Dunfords were these free people of color with 70 slaves. Among the wit those witnessing the intrusion of Union gumboats were some of the most prosperous free Negroes in the Lower South. They, too, felt a strange sadness and sorrow. Only a year before, they had organized two splendidly equipped battalions modeled after the French, uh, modeled after the French one a French unit to fight for the Confederacy. And all more than 3,000 Louisiana Negroes, three out of four adult free men of color in the state, joined colored military and militia units to fight for the South. 
Once the war broke out, though generally excluded from the regular army, they were, one observer noted, as strongly in favor of the rebellion as the, as the fiercest fire-eater from South Carolina. Many of them owned slaves and defended the South's peculiar institution as zealously as any of the disciples of John C. Calhoun. Even after Farragut turned over the city to the Union General Benjamin Butler in May 1, 1862, a mulatto schoolteacher refused to hoist the American flag above his schoolhouse. A mulatto. In other lower south, states, lower south states, affluent free persons of color also sympathized with the Confederate cause. Those who owned slaves wished to protect their property. Others feared the consequences of a general emancipation. Few went so far as a group of Charleston, South Carolina free Negroes who professed in a memorial to the governor that their allegiance to the South is so great that they would, quote, offer up our lives and all that is dear to us. but many either tacitly hoped the South would be, would be preserved or openly backed the new government by purchasing Confederate bonds, donating money to soldier relief organizations, or providing slaves to work on fortifications. Following the death of William Ellison in 1861, William Jr. and Henry Ellison made every effort to prove themselves loyal to the new government. They paid their taxes, offered corn, fodder, and bacon to the Army, and purchased treasury notes, 4% certificates, and Confederate notes. William Ellison was a, was a black slave owner in South Carolina. In fact, his grandson served in the Confederate Army. Now, his grandson looked white, or at least Indian. In fact, it was his his uh, grand his daughter, I should say, married a full-blooded Indian, American Indian, and so that his his grandson served in the Confederate Army. But here you have: Are these people black Confederates? They couldn't serve in the army, but were they black Confederates? So they're buying bonds. So they're saying we're loyal. If they're doing things to show loyalty as free people of color, are they Confederates? I think the answer is unequivocally yes. Is Horace King a black Confederate? Certainly so. Because he was making money, providing labor, providing services, if he really did not favor the Confederacy. Now you could say, well, he had to. He couldn't, couldn't do otherwise. They'd kill him if he didn't. Well, he had a choice. There was Robert Smalls of uh, South Carolina who, def- who deserted. He took a boat and left the uh, as as a pilot, <clears throat> and left his status as a pilot for the Confederacy and deserted into the into the North. Took his boat with him, so he could have done that. I mean, Horace King could have gotten out of here, could have gotten out of Alabama, gotten out of Georgia, found a Union regiment, offered his service to the Union. He could have done that. No, he was making too much money on the South, and implicitly supporting. He would not have passed. The test oath. Of course, this particular section also gets into the fact that these people eventually switched sides. It says, as the war progressed, however, it became increasingly clear that the old regime might crumble in the wake of Union advances. Prosperous free Negroes in the Lower South grew fearful and apprehensive, like, like white aristocrats. They looked longingly toward the past. Few expressed their feelings more poignantly than Catherine Johnson, the eldest daughter of the wealthy Mississippi barber William Johnson, who had been brutally murdered in 1851 by a free black during a boundary dispute. That's actually a very interesting story, uh, and maybe one time I'll do a podcast on that. Part of her despair was personal, the girlhood memories of her father, the growing insanity of her brother, and the financial sacrifices of her mother. But these problems seemed to be only symptomatic of a much deeper anguish, an anguish caused by the incomprehensible changes taking place as a result of the war. 
At first, she remained optimistic, hoping that things would turn out for the best. In other words, a Confederate victory. But as time passed and the war dragged on for month after month, year after year, she grew increasingly resentful and bitter, eventually melancholy and despondent. Three entries in her diary reveal her growing despair. Once it became clear that North would prevail, free Negro support for the Confederacy in the Lower South quickly evaporated. Those who had served in the Home Guard units or professed loyalty to Jefferson Davis now asserted they had acted out of fear and retaliation. How could any black, one of them queried, support a government set up for the distinctly avowed purpose of holding this, his brethren and kindred, in eternal slavery? So this is interesting. They're, they're going to switch sides. So which one was it? They were still loyal Confederates, even if they say we weren't loyal Confederates. But that's the same thing Horace King was doing. So when you look at this particular issue, I mean, again, would we say that someone who is a support soldier today is not really a soldier? No, we would call them soldiers, even if they're not in combat. Uh, would we say someone that was a support person for the Confederacy in whatever status they were, would they still be Confederates? Of course. Large numbers of, of black Southerners traveled with the army into Pennsylvania and went back with the army. And we know that some even got were engaged in combat at times. So this is an interesting topic, and I think one that needs some nuance, because if you simply rely on the tired version of, wow, these people really weren't Confederates because they weren't in the Army. Um, well, there were lots of people that supported it, even financially, even with support, whether it was uh, in other types of support, you know, supplying labor, supplying services. The fact that there was not large-scale insurrection. The abolitionists were perplexed by this. Why weren't there large-scale insurrections in the South? Um, and why is it that uh, when newspapers were writing about uh, the black populations of the South, oftentimes they were surprised that they were hostile to, to uh, Union soldiers. Hostile. Not, not sympathetic, but hostile. Now, some weren't. And in fact, uh, one of the things that that book on Horace King doesn't get into was that when Columbus was being uh, fortified against the final battle of the war, the final land battle of east of the Mississippi of the war, April 16, 1865, when that was going on, uh, there were a large number of, of slaves who offered to fight for the defense of Columbus, and they were turned down. In fact, the Prussian who was in charge of the defenses wrote saying, I've got all these people trying to sign up. Can I take them? And uh, the Confederate government turned them down, which, of course, as we can look at now, was a mistake. They needed manpower. So um, if, you're, if you're trying to win a war, you need manpower. And, of course, Davis recognizes the Kenner mission. He tried to, he told Britain and France that if, if you'll support us, we'll end slavery. Uh, you know, Patrick Cleburne, of, uh, who a Confederate general, was supporting arming uh, slaves. Robert E. Lee eventually got on, on board with this and said, yeah, we need to do this because we need to win. Independence is first and foremost. We can't worry about this other stuff unless we have independence. So ultimately, emancipation would have happened in one way or another because of the war. But there were large numbers. There's another uh, book on uh, black slave owners entitled uh, Black Slave Owners. It's by a guy named Larry Coger, and um, he, this was actually something he went out, a fact-finding mission. How many black slave owners were there in the South? Were there large numbers? Um, and what were, they, what were they doing? And what he found is that these people were owning slaves. For, why anyone else is owning slaves? They wanted labor. It wasn't for humanitarian concerns or trying to get people uh, off the plantation system. No, no, no. This was for labor. They wanted it to ensure that they had labor on their plantations. 
So this is a very complex situation. Again, in the in the podcast and several podcasts I've talked about the South. You can, if you want to get all South, you can get my Abbeville Institute podcast, which is once a week. Uh, but I think this issue is important when people start talking about Black Confederates. They have to understand the nuances and the in the support and what that meant to be a Confederate. Uh, for for example, were women Confederates? They weren't out there fighting, but yet were they can still still considered Confederates? They couldn't vote. They couldn't participate in the government. Neither could they in the North. But yet they were still. I mean. We look at people, women in the North who are supporting the war. They're good, strong Union people. So if a woman is supporting the war, is she a good, strong Confederate? Of course. So is a free black person, free person of color, are they Confederates? Absolutely. But that's not that's that's not only allowable opinion now. You can't do that. So I think this is a fun little topic and one that uh, really sticks it to the very narrow interpretation of the war that you're allowed to have. Um, it's not saying that uh, black people didn't, there were black people that didn't support the Confederacy. Obviously, large numbers joined the Union Army, fought against the South, fought for freedom, fought for freedom from slavery. Those things happened, absolutely. But there were large numbers of uh, free people of color, for example, as this book points out, or of uh, just you know, black Southerners in general that supported the Confederacy for one reason or another. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClaney Show.